My guest today is the chief executive of one of Nigeria's leading banking brands and a poet at heart. I remember hearing news of his appointment a few years ago and thought, hmm, I guess I like the fact that somebody disinterested will be leading um, one of our top financial institutions. Abubakar Suleiman will be telling me um, about the motivations and emotions that have driven his life so far. And I just want to ask him about the, some of the biggest events that defined his life, the banking reforms um, of the early 2000s and the mid-2010s. Um, now, we never think that those things have emotional elements. You never expect to sit down with a bank MD and talk about vulnerability or how you know, marriage and companionship can hold you in some of the toughest moments of your life. Well, today, Abubakar explains how. Welcome on the show. I think the first time I met you, I think, was in 2013. Um, I had been invited for the Get Ready for Work program. Yes. And, um, and I had come to the office to meet you. And then it was my former colleague, Daphne. And then it was you. I think you were the executive director of retail at the time. Okay. And I think that... I think that when you, um, when you were announced as the MD of the bank, the first thing I thought was, oh, an interesting person is going to lead a bank. <laughs> that was my first thought. I thought, oh, an interesting person is going to lead a bank. Um, is that an apt way to describe you? Um, why? How did that move happen? Especially, is, I guess, about finance and accounting and yeah. about you know, yeah. keeping the boat yeah. and ensuring yeah. the regulatory things yeah. are met. Yeah. Right from there to, you know what, how is Mama Risi going to open an account in Djibouti? Yeah. How does that happen? So, Treasury actually is sort of like the special ops for investment banking. So, when you okay. think of investment bankers and all of the characteristics that you assign to them, mm -hmm. uh, the dealing room is the height of it, right. um, which is exactly the opposite of what Treasury is, which right. is... Um, really and truly very uh, intimate, um, very human, very connected to the society. Yeah. Um, for me, I'd always wanted to do more. So it, it's just, it wasn't going to be a matter whether it's treasure or not. I'd always wanted to do more. I didn't start with banking. Right. I actually started my career as a consultant with Arthur Anderson, as a tax consultant, right? Yes. Right? yes. Um, but I do recall a particular date where we were having a conversation and somebody referred to me as Abu Treasury. Um, really nothing to it, mm -hmm. except that it just struck me, really struck me, that the last thing I ever wanted was to be that associated with anything at all in particular. Mm -hmm. um, I'd always felt that there's so much to do that you cannot over-specialize and become just one thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the wake-up call for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it then came down to what the institution needed, because that journey started by me uh, working as an uh, interim CEO at Equitora Trust Bank after an acquisition. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the bank was pleased with the work we did and felt, um, in fact, it didn't go, I didn't go straight into Treasury. I went from Treasury to become the CFO. Um, I took on the tra uh, retail business as an addition to the finance business. Mm -hmm. So there was a transition, first from the dealing room, then to the finance role, then to the Treasury role. Right. Right. From the dealing room to the financial to the treasury room. Yeah. So the dealing room was which one? That's the treasury. That's right. So when you say from dealing room to finance, or even from dealing room to finance to retail, is that yes. what you mean? Correct. Right, because you said, okay. Yes. Right. The people who say that, 
it is of course expected for you as a bank MD to save it. Yeah. And that, so I, mem I remember when the the NSAS protests were going on, yeah. and I called myself a retired protester. <laughs> so I sat, sat down and watched this, and I had uh, nuanced views about the protest. Yeah. And I and I had a conversation with myself, <laughs> and I said. 25 years ago, there would be no nuance. You know, the way that I would respond to this would be very, would be very white hot, red hot, yes. fire, yeah. brimstone. Right. And I thought, is it because I have some more things to lose <laughs> that my thinking has evolved? Okay. Yeah. Is that what it is with you? Is, that, is it inevitable that the higher you go, the more nuance? And then you begin to see, because when you're younger, big business is the enemy. Mm. You know, capitalism, for well, some of us, capitalism is the devil. Mm -hmm. You know, ETC, ETC, we need to read it. You know, socialism sounds very attractive. Mm. Is this something that happens as you go higher? Um, so first of all, I think that um, we're all retired protesters. <laughs> um, I, I was at uh, uh, an intergenerational story exchange in Abuja over the weekend. Right. And IOB um, yes. exchange yeah. her story. Uh, one of the young people who started the Not Too Young to Run. Um, and as she told her story, what she went through, the personal sacrifices, mm -hmm. the risk that she took under the Abacha regime, mm -hmm. you could see the entire room just completely silent because they mm -hmm. never imagined that there was ever a battle yes. that was even more dangerous yes. than the answers, yes. right? Yes. Uh, we all fought in many ways. Um, we all went to university and we fought those battles. So I think it's important for everybody to know that. Mm. I think what we learn, and the reason why we take a different approach, is not because we have more to lose. Mm -hmm. It's because we've realized that there are more effective ways to get the outcome we want. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, about a couple of months, maybe three, four months before NSAS became a story, mm -hmm. I reached out to some very senior political figures and mm -hmm. said, look, we've got a problem. I need you guys to give us a mandate to go sit down with the tech community to have a conversation around how we solve this SARS problem. Right. And the governor I spoke to blessed the journey. Mm -hmm. I reached out to people in the tech community and said, let us build a platform. Let mm -hmm. us build a platform that allows us to identify people who work in the tech community so that we don't confuse them with Yahoo boys. Right. Now, that is not all the problem, but that was a very good starting Keep point. Yeah. So that was the conversation that was ongoing. So right. I, I thought that that was a more effective way right. than the protest. Yeah. Right, yeah, because yeah. we're getting the we're going, get the we're going to get the police on board, get mm -hmm. the political figures on board, get the people themselves on board, so that we build something. Mm -hmm. So, am I right? You know, is a protest the best way to solve the problem? Mm -hmm. Only time will tell. Mm -hmm. I would always opt for the most efficient way to solve a problem, and right. I think, in addition to to having those options that I have that the protesters didn't have, which mm -hmm. is we call up a governor and say there's a problem, let us do something about it, is that I also have information, right? You right. become more and more aware. I run yeah. an organization that has, you know, hundreds of um, software engineers and tech employees. Mm. So I know what they go through. They call up sometimes and they've had an incident. Of course, it's a very large organization. We have access to resources. We have access to people who solve it for them. But I also mentor a lot of young people that are a two, three-man team trying to start a tech business, and they don't have access to the police commissioner. And which was why I decided I wanted to do something that would cover everybody. Mm -hmm. So no, we're not running away from protests because we have more to lose. We are avoiding it because it's become obvious to us over time that it's not the most efficient way to transform a country. Right. And there's no point repeating the same mistakes. If you've done it before and it did not give you an outcome, right. you need to find something that works. Do you have to self-edit? Do you have to 
do you have to put type things and put them in draft? Because you're not just speaking for yourself, you're speaking for the institution, mm. you're speaking for people who have families around, you're speaking for shareholders who hold you to account. Because I'm thinking to myself, if I'm doing that, and I shouldn't be doing that, that's not my job. Mm. <laughs> you know, what must you be doing? Okay, the first, I think I would say that if we are going to live our most influential life as private sector people, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere between the age of maybe 40 and, and, and 55, mm -hmm. um, and if 80% of our society, the leadership is in private sector, mm -hmm. are we then suggesting that for that period of our life, the most um, effective part of our life would have no impute into governance? Mm -hmm. That would be a very dangerous thing because it means that you know by the time you are competent enough and hopefully resourced enough to do something about governance, you are then silenced until you get into retirement. Yeah. So I so I disagree with that. Right. Um, I speak for myself. Right. I know a lot of people can't make that distinction between the company speaking mm -hmm. or the individual speaking, but I'm very clear about that. My personal handles are Abubakar Suleiman. Mm -hmm speaking as a citizen of the Federal Republic. Mm. Everything that I say publicly, I also look for opportunity to say privately to the people who are entrusted with uh, running this country. Mm. So, and you cannot be a government person, have a, be in a room with me for 30 minutes and I have not had a very deep conversation with you about what I think you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Mm. And because we are supporting when, when they come up with things that will make a difference, because we actively support, I as an individual support them, mm -hmm. the company supports them, so they understand us as a partner, potential partner rather than an adversary. Mm -hmm. um, do I self-edit? If you look at my post, um, the number of grammatical errors should tell you that uh, there's very little editing going on. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I'm best just being myself. Mm -hmm. And I've always been willing to pay the price if there was one. Mm. Um, the highest price I can pay for speaking out, at least um, from, the, from the perspective now, is that I leave the job. Mm. Um, would I rather be silent for the next five years of my life or whatever so that I, I can keep a job or would I stand for what I believe in? Mm. Um, I think even the people who have put me on the job understood that about me before mm. they made that decision. Mm. Uh, I didn't change overnight and became a different person. They understood that there was that. They also trust me to exercise judgment. Mm -hmm. What I will not do is anything that will further um, worsen the circumstances that Nigeria is in, anything that would further divide the society, mm -hmm. um, anything that does not lead to solving the problem. That I'm not interested in. Right. Uh, but for as long as I'm making effort to hopefully unite this country around the common uh, common idea that can lift us out of poverty, I think I should be willing to take that risk. Thank you for listening to With Today, the podcast. To hear the full conversation, join our community on listen.withtoday.com or find it on Apple Podcasts. Let's be human.